Hello and welcome to the podcast of First Church. I'm glad you could join us. My name is Emilio Garza. I'm the administrative pastor at First Church. You've heard my voice if you have tuned into our podcast before in our intro and outros. And uh, we just want to take a minute to say how excited we are that we're going to be getting into another season of our pastor's podcast with our senior pastor, Timothy Wisnett. He is going to be teaching uh, for these next few weeks from the book of Colossians, and we'll be releasing these every Monday uh, from here going forward. And it's just such a blessing to hear our pastor teach. Uh, As you recall from the past, this Bible study is not from services. It's not a message that was taught in a service, but it's exclusively here on the podcast. So make sure you tune in uh, to next week, next Monday, and that way you're able to stay up to date. I want to remind you, follow our social media pages on Facebook, First Church Woodland or First Church Vacaville. You can also find us on Instagram. Our website and app can be found at firstchurch.app. And uh, we want to get connected to you, get to know you a little better. So reach out, get in contact with us. And I pray that this podcast is a blessing to your day. Hi, I am Pastor Timothy Wisenad, Senior Pastor of the First Church campuses of Woodland and of Vacaville, and welcome to Pastor's Podcast. I know it's been a little while since we've done this, but we are kicking this thing back off and will be on a regular basis uh, dropping a podcast of a Bible study that we are going to open up to get into here today to deepen our knowledge of the Word of God and uh, keep His Word active in our hearts and in our minds, and then as a practice of our daily lives. Now, we are going to open up a study on the book of Colossians, uh, one of my favorite epistles, and uh, we are going to dive into this and look at it uh, theologically. We're going to look at it historically, and we are going to look at it uh practically how we can activate this in our lives on a daily basis it is so important that we not only read the word of god but know and understand it and uh, the best way to do that is through prayer and also just getting into the word of god so let's go to the book of colossians chapter number one and that will be our outline uh for this lesson today as we get into the book of Colossians. Now, the epistle to the Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christian church at Colossae. Uh, Colossae was a town in Asia Minor. It contains one of the most powerful presentations of the doctrine of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Now, Colossians is a part of the Bible, which is the inspired word of God. The book of Colossians claims apostolic authority from the very first verse. Chapter 2 issues an authoritative warning against a particular heresy and then gives a repudiation of it. In chapter 4, this letter commands that the letter be circulated among Christians outside of Colossae and to be read by them and to them. Now, if we accept Paul as a genuine apostle, and he was, and if we accept Colossians as a genuine book by him, 
then we must accept its claims to be authoritative and recognize that it is inspired of God for us. Now, according to 2 Peter 3 and 15 through 16, uh, the apostles of Paul are scripture. Uh, Peter writes about that and says the epistles are scripture, the inspired word of God. Now, since the book of Colossians is part of the inspired word of God, in the final analysis, God is the true author of the book. God did use a human agent to compose the book, and according to Colossians 1, 1 and 1 and 23 through 24, that human was the apostle Paul. Paul, whose Hebrew name was Saul, was a very devout and highly educated Jewish man. You can read um, Acts 22 and 3 and Philippians 3 and 4 through 6 uh, to see that. He originally persecuted the Christians bitterly, but after a miraculous conversion experience, he began to preach the gospel that he once opposed. He received his apostolic calling from God and his understanding of the gospel by divine revelation. And he writes to that about that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, and verses 11 through 12, as well as uh, other places. He became the chief apostle to the Gentiles, the great missionary of the early church and writer of much of the New Testament. Now, Acts 9 and Acts 22 records Paul's conversion, while Acts chapter 13 through 28 records of his ministry. Now, let's look at where uh, and when the book of Colossians was written. Uh, Paul wrote Colossians from prison. He tells us that in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 18. Thus, this book is classified along with the uh, epistle of Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon as one of Paul's prison epistles. Most conservative Bible scholars conclude that Colossians was written during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, which occurred in the early AD 60s, probably um, from AD 61 to around AD uh, 63. Now let's look at who it was written to. The book was originally written to the church at Colossae, a city in the Roman province of Asia. This province encompassed Western Asia Minor or um, Western Anatolia, which is uh, the, the Asian portion of modern-day Turkey. The city was located by the Lucas River uh, Valley, about 125 miles south of uh, Ephesus, the provincial capital. Colossae was, was formerly part of the kingdom of Phrygia. The majority of the inhabitants were Phrygians, with Greek culture being superimposed. There was a large Jewish community in the Lectures Valley and in Phrygia. You can see Acts chapter 2 and 10 about that. Uh, it appears that the Colossian church was mainly Gentile, but some Jewish influence was, was uh, evident. And so what was the purpose of this? Well, the immediate occasion of the Colossian letter was one, the visit and report of Aphrius, the founder and pastor of the church to Paul and to the return of Onesimus, a runaway slave who had been converted by Paul, returning him back to Colossia, uh, which you can find more detail about this in the letter of Philemon. 
the purpose of the letter was to first strengthen and confirm uh, the Colossian church and two, to warn about and refute the particular heresy in its midst. The use of the singular in chapter two may indicate that one of the false teachers was particularly responsible for the doctrinal problems. By inspiring this book, God evidently had a larger purpose in mind, namely, instructing the entire church throughout the centuries in the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Now, Colossians 4.16 indicates that this larger purpose by uh, instructing that the Laodicean church also read this letter. So it wasn't just relegated to Colossae at that time. It, it was commanded to be read everywhere and uh, it, to have an effect uh, to all believers everywhere, not just in time and location, but throughout the ages until the return of Christ. Now, consequently, the book of Colossians contains the most comprehensive Christology or doctrine of Jesus Christ in all of Paul's epistles. And it makes some of the most important statements on the subject in the entire Bible. It clearly presents Jesus Christ as the full incarnation of the one true God. And it does so in a way that is incompatible with uh, tritheism, with any other doctrine of a triune or separate persons of the Godhead or also known as classical Trinitarianism. We can divide the main body of Colossians into four major points, all centered around the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, here are those four major uh, points. One is the doctrine of Jesus Christ that's found in Colossians 1 and 15 through 23. That is the nature of the Lordship of Jesus. Two, Paul, as a minister of Jesus, uh, in chapter 1 and verses 24 through chapter 2 and verse 5, proclaiming the lordship of Jesus, the philosophy uh, versus true faith that is found in chapter 2 and verses 6 through chapter 3, verses 4, uh, the lordship of Jesus versus the false teaching at Colossae. And four is practical Christian living found throughout chapters three and four. Uh, that is the lordship of Jesus in practical life. So let's begin reading in Colossians chapter one, verses one and two, and then we'll go from there. It states, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossia. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So now in verse one, Paul identified himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is literally someone who is sent or a messenger. Although Paul did not claim to be one of the 12 or the original 12, by using this title, he claimed an authority and ministry like theirs. Paul was also an apostle by divine calling. No mere mortal could give this uh, calling to him or this ministry to him. He received it from God himself. And Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 1. Although other associates were with Paul at the time, only Timothy was included in the salutation because he was Paul's permanent co-worker. While the greetings are from both Paul and Timothy, 
the epistle itself is actually from Paul and is based on his apostolic authority. The title of brother here and in verse 2 reveals the close family relationship that Christians enjoy. It was apparently a standard title in the early church. The Greek text simply identifies Timothy as, quote, the brother. Now, verse 2, Paul wrote to the church at Colossia. He described the Christians uh, there as faithful, which can mean loyal, believing, or, or it can mean both loyal, believing. He also called them saints, which literally means separated, sanctified, or or holy ones, holy people, followers of Christ, that all believers are to be separate from sin, that is separate from the world, and dedicated to God. Now, let's look at uh, verses 3 through 8 and the thanksgiving that Paul had for the Colossia church. He says in verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we had heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have for all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the world of the truth of the gospel, which is come to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard it, heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye learned of Ephraim, our dear fellow servant, who is your faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now let's just break this down verse by verse again. Verse 3, after the initial greeting, Paul described his continual thanksgiving for the Colossian believers as he prayed for them. Not only did this gesture demonstrate courtesy, but it also illustrated an important truth about prayer. Prayer should always be offered in the context of thanksgiving and not just a series of petitions or making wishes or wants known. Paul prayed continually for the Colossians. Prayer was his daily habit. He believed in the power of prayer. Specifically, he believed in the power of intercessory prayer. Then Paul directs his thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as in the Old Testament, it speaks of the God of Abraham to remind his people of the relationship and blessings resulting from the Abrahamic covenant. So the New Testament sometimes speaks of the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, to remind us of the relationship and blessings available to us through the new covenant established by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Then verse 4 presents uh, two reasons, uh, not limited to, but these are two that he named, uh, two reasons for Paul's thanksgiving. First, he thanked God for the faith of the Colossians. Faith in Jesus Christ is vital, for it is the very basis of salvation, Romans 1 and 16 through 7. Second, Paul thanked God for the love that the Colossians had for fellow Christians. Loving the brethren is a supreme abiding evidence of salvation. Thus, Paul was thankful that the Colossian believers 
exhibited two essential aspects of Christian life, faith and love, salvation and godliness. Verse 5, faith and love rest upon or springs from our future hope. This hope is objective, not subjective. It, it is already stored up for us in heaven. Verse 27 would call it the hope of glory, which comes by the indwelling of Christ in a believer through the Holy Spirit. Specifically, we have the hope of the second coming of Christ and an eternal reward from him. This hope comes through the preaching of the truth of the gospel. Verse 23 calls it the hope of the gospel. Verse 6 expounds on the nature of the gospel that brings such hope. First, it is universal. It has come to the Colossians and to the entire world. Second, the gospel is productive. It is bearing fruit. The gospel was working in or among the saints since they heard and knew the grace of God in truth. The gospel or grace of God cannot merely be accepted intellectually. It must be grasped spiritually and then transformed into experience. The Colossians received the grace of God, quote, in truth. There was no, uh, there was no watering this down. There was no uh, adulteration of it. As this verse speaks of the entire world receiving the gospel truth, which must be unadulterated and comprehended fully. Then verse 7, the gospel came to the Colossians via Ephraim, who was, uh, who was uh, you learned it from Ephraim, our dear fellow servant. Um, apparently, he was the founder and the pastor of the church and also Paul's co-worker. Paul described him as a fellow slave and minister, a servant or helper of Christ. Verse 8, Ephraim had reported to Paul the spiritual love of the Colossian believers. Some translations say love in the spirit, while others say love in spirit. Either way, the meaning is the same. For the indwelling of the Holy Spirit prompted their love. Taking the King James rendering of this, this verse contains only the explicit reference to the spirit in the entire epistle. This fact may pose a problem for um, people who believe in three persons or a, a triune classical Trinitarianism, but not for believers of oneness, uh, for they recognize with Paul that the Holy Spirit is synonymous with the indwelling of Christ. And those scriptural references you can find is in Romans 8, 9 through 11, 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, and Colossians 1 and 27. Now, let's look at, he just gave thanks for, now let's look at the prayer for the Colossia church. Verse 9 through 14. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. 
Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And in verse 14, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Again, let's go verse by verse. Paul's prayer was based on the same reason as his thanksgiving. The good report motivated him to pray for the Colossians as well as to offer thanks for them. In fact, he continually prayed for them. We can divide Paul's prayer for the believers into two parts. One, he prayed that they would be, quote, filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, the word for knowledge is not merely the word gnosis, but uh, epigenius, which means full knowledge. His prayer was that they would have deeper understanding of God. God's will is not some obscure or mystical thing. This first shows that Christians can and should obtain a full knowledge of God's will for their lives. The deeper understanding that Paul desired for the church consisted of spiritual understanding, not carnal understanding. In this context, these words signify the full knowledge of scriptural principles and the ability to apply those principles. As chapter 2 will show us, the false teaching at Colossia put heavy emphasis on knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. It appears that God inspired Paul to use terms that were popular with the heretics in order to refute their false concepts. Verse 10, the purpose of knowledge is transformation or right conduct. There is and must be a union of doctrine and conduct. Christians are to walk or live in a worthy manner. We are not worthy of God's grace, but in his response to his grace and through the power of his grace, we must strive to live up to our Lord's standards. The specific result of knowledge is twofold. Okay, there's, there's a twofold result of this. One, we will bear fruit in every good work, and B, we will grow in full knowledge. True spiritual knowledge causes us to bear fruit or produce good works and further grow in the knowledge of God's will. And then in verse 11, uh, Paul prayed his second part. The second part of his prayer was that Paul prayed that the believers would receive power to do God's will. He referred primarily to the strength of will or strength of character, including the power to deny the flesh, the power to refuse temptation, and the power to resist the devil. God will endow us with all strength according to his glorious power. Spiritual strength will produce three characteristics in people that will pursue it. One, it's going to, uh, it's going to produce patience, that is endurance, or patience that conquer, conquers obstacles. Um, two, will be, uh, it will produce long-suffering, that is patience, especially with people. And three, it will produce joyfulness, rejoicing, especially in the times of tribulation. Having joy in trials is an important Christian attitude. Verse 12, once again, we see that Paul offered thanks to God. His prayer was in the context of thanksgiving. The reason for thanksgiving in this verse 
is that the Father has qualified us to share or give us a share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And then verse 13 further explains that the Father has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom, the kingdom of his son. The Greek uh, text there literally reads the son of his love, indicating that God's love for the son as a man and God's love for us as revealed through the son. Verse 14 explains um, how we were placed in the Lord's kingdom by redemption. Now, redemption means deliverance, release, or emancipation. This verse compares us to captives who have been ransomed by a payment. We have redemption in the Son, the man, Christ Jesus, who died for us. The ransom payment was the blood of Jesus, which satisfies, thank God, the requirements of God's holy law, thereby delivering us from the penalty and effects of sin. The blood of Jesus is his life given up in death. His substitutionary atoning sacrifice for us, which makes us free. Verse 14 is also an amplification of verse 13. It's a continuum. And the one acting uh, and the one acting in verse 13 is the Father. Deliverance, translation, and redemption are actually the work of the Father. The one who delivers and the one who redeems are not two separate persons, but one divine being. The Father was incarnate in the Son and thereby reconciled the world unto himself. The Father did not send someone else. He gave of himself. Christ's redemptive work enables us to receive the forgiveness of sins. Now, Paul typically spoke of salvation in terms of justification, meaning that we've been declared righteous by God. Justification includes both the removal of sin, that is the forgiveness or remission of sins, and the imputation of righteousness. Forgiveness focuses on one aspect of the initial salvation experience. Whereas justification is a mere comprehensive term, we receive the full work of forgiveness or remission at repentance and water baptism, according to Acts 2 and 38, while justification also involves the work of the Holy Spirit. The new birth experience of the New Testament church includes both water and spirit. John 3, 3, John 3, 5, um, just, just to name a couple there. Uh, namely, it consists of repentance, water baptism in the name of Jesus, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The word, the wording of Colossians 1 and 13 through 14 is similar to God's commission to Paul as recorded in Acts 26 and 18. God called Paul, quote, to turn the Gentiles from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me, end quote. God is the one who performs this work as the gospel is preached to people who believe. 
Verse 14 is transitional. It begins to introduce a grand passage of praise to Jesus Christ, which is a fitting conclusion to Paul's prayer. It also introduces the main theme of the epistle, that is the lordship, preeminence, person, and work of Jesus Christ. And verses 15 through 20 proceed to elaborate on these points. I'm going to conclude today's podcast right there, and we will pick up on verses 15 through 20 in our next lesson. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that you have been able to glean something from God's word and have a better understanding of Colossians maybe than you did just a few minutes ago. My prayer is by the time we are done with this series, you will be more acquainted with the the author and the heart and intent of God through Paul as he wrote 2,000 years ago to us who are alive and remain today to carry out the mission of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I pray that you have a blessed day. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us or reach out to us. Um, You are more than welcome to leave a review here on our podcast uh, medium through which you have downloaded or listening this to. Uh, Again, I'm Senior Pastor Timothy Wisnett of the First Church of Vacaville and First Church of Woodland. Uh, Please join us anytime you're in the greater Sacramento or Bay Area. Our Woodland campus is at 10 a.m. on Sundays. Our Vacaville campus at 2 p.m. on Sundays and Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Woodland. Wednesday night, 7 p.m. in Vacaville. We would love to see you there. And if you are coming uh, because you've listened to this podcast, please let them know when you walk in the door. We'd be so glad to see you. Stay prayed up, stay in your word, and keep on following Jesus. May God richly bless you.